folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast family, and I'm excited to podcast about today's events in NBA free agency, as well as some other dominoes that are planning on falling over the course of these next couple weeks. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Western Conference tiers, because I do think that they're kind of shifting. And I, I think it's important to sort of classify where the Nuggets are within this whole hierarchy and, and what Nuggets fans can really expect, the teams that they are going to have to match up with in order to come out of the Western Conference this year. But first, we're going to talk about Summer League. We're going to talk about Game 3, more general takeaways from the game as opposed to specific details. I did watch the game, I promise, but I, I'd rather kind of do this from a more holistic perspective, something that really focuses on the bigger picture and, and what the what these Nuggets players are really getting into. So let's go through some of the main players on the team right now. Christian Brown is probably the one. And the first takeaway that I have with him is just the defense. I think it's worth the investment. I think it's playoff caliber right now. And mostly what I mean by that. He has shut down Oshai Akbaji and Brandon Boston Jr. in each of the last two games. And it's been really exciting to see because those guys, bigger wings, 6'6 for Akbaji, 6'7 for Brandon Boston, those guys are big. They are definitely in that tier of player that the Nuggets have struggled with, especially over the course of these last couple of years. Aaron Gordon is a player that they got for the bigger wings, the, the LeBrons, the Lucas, etc. And Denver's done reasonably well against those guys. Not necessarily against guys like Anthony Edwards or Devin Booker or players in that tier of that size. So I do think that Christian Brown, really interesting player to kind of add to that mix. He isn't necessarily the most playoff-ready defender on the Nuggets roster, like I do think that Kentavious Caldwell-Pope will play most of those minutes on the wing. Aaron Gordon, obviously, big-time wing player. Bruce Brown, he's going to get a lot of time. Even Davon Reed might be a little bit more ready. But I do think that Christian Brown is as ready as you could probably get in terms of a playoff-level defender in this NBA draft that can potentially hold their own offensively. Now, he hasn't hit a shot. He hasn't hit an outside shot at all. And there have been some really, I think, concerning-looking shots from Summer League where he just doesn't look comfortable in any way, shape, or form when taking some of these attempts. Some of them are off the dribble. Some of them are when the defense is sagging and kind of daring him to shoot. He feels obligated to shoot in those situations, and he's just not hitting anything right now. So I wonder if that's something that's a little bit more correctable when he's in a kind of a more narrow role, just playing a different style. Because let's face it, he's not going to be the first option ever again. Summer League's really the only time, I think, where he's going to be considered a first option offensive player. And this just isn't the role that I think one would expect him to be in. And he's doing it not necessarily in like a traditional first option way where he's handling the ball a ton or anything like that. Although he did handle the ball a little bit more in this last game, and I don't think it really went that well. I think there's there's still some things to be concerned about when it comes to maybe some of the secondary ball handling things translating and whatnot. But 
I do think the shooting will eventually come around. I think he's he's at least like a 33, 34% three-point shooter, which is fine. It's not the best in the world, but it's viable enough that if you leave him open, he will make teams pay, especially if he's feeling himself. We will see whether he's that or if he's up to a 39 or 40% three-point shooter, but I do think that his playoff caliber defense is the biggest story. And the Nuggets can feel pretty good about what he's shown so far based off of some of the assignments that he's had. Number two, Peyton Watson. His flashes, they're clearly worth the investment. The beginning of his game in game three was excellent. It was about as good as you can honestly get. And then he airballed a three immediately after hitting a three. And everything just sort of kind of seemed to go downhill from there. I'm not sure if that's... Uh, just more of like a, a flashes kind of thing. I'm not sure if it's a confidence kind of thing because it really seemed like he rattled, got rattled a bit and immediately got back down to earth. But I do think that he, to this point, has shown enough in transition as a passer, as a defender, as a rebounder, that Nuggets fans can be excited about the project in this case because he, he's not going to play. Like, I do think that there's there has to be a, a comfortable set of expectations here where the Nuggets have to know that they're going to need to take their time with somebody like this. Nobody ever wants to overreact in terms of what he's uh, what he's supposed to be showing, what he's supposed to be doing. The 19-point game, though, that was enough of a flash that I think you could really see, okay, this is what it looks like when this six foot eight guy is handling the ball, when he's using his playmaking and his vision kind of as a weapon to kind of set up his scoring. And that's a good thing. That's that's what Denver wanted to see. If we hadn't seen that game and if it was just games one and three, then I'd be a little bit more concerned because I didn't really expect him to be all that good, frankly. Like, I understand that Denver drafted him and I understand that they had their they had their beliefs in him, but it was mostly just going to be defensive. And, and to this point, it has been. But I do think that there's been enough offense there that the defense is just going to be really, really good. He feels It feels like he's focused on that. It feels like that's something that he really wants to do. That's an exciting thing. Denver, they need defensive-minded players. And that's probably the biggest takeaway, honestly, is that this is a defensive-minded team and they play like it. They were going through these offensive slumps, but the only reason that they were able to survive was because they committed defensively, and every single player did, which meant that there were very few opportunities for the Clippers to score, and that was great. Number three, Colin Gillespie, perfectly reasonable fourth point guard this year. He's showing enough as a decision maker, as a scorer, as a passer. Uh, He had some nice fillet layups going from a kind of reverse style from one side to the other. And this these were in the fourth quarter, so he had to make some of those shots. It was a very, very big deal that he did. And I'm glad that we got to see that from him. Perfectly reasonable for him to be on the two-way contract. Perfectly, perfectly reasonable for him. If Denver sustains an injury, let's say uh, Bones Highland goes out for a prolonged period of time and then Ish Smith gets sick. I think you could feel okay about Colin Gillespie stepping up and playing 10 to 12 minutes in a in a consistent role. That's not that bad. And he, he's not going to 
completely lose the the rope. And then he'll probably be the third point guard next season. That's a very reasonable thing for him. Very reasonable for what Denver's asking him to do. Number four, Ismail Kamigate, still very raw, but I do think that he's going to be a really good defender at the NBA level if he has NBA level conditioning. You see some plays where he kind of he'll go hard at various points and he'll he'll play very hard. And then you see moments where he has to let up off the gas a little bit. And it's right at the wrong time where a guy is making a dribble move on him and then Kamigate kind of he lets up just a little bit. And then the Nuggets, uh, they, they give up a layup as a result because his man kind of ducked in or because he, he got back cut or something like that. That's, uh, that's not surprising. That's, that's a thing that will probably continue to happen until he gets into NBA weight rooms and whatnot. But as he continues to develop his skill set, that's probably the most important thing. Most important thing for sure is him to get to the skill level abroad and then seeing the game and playing a good, strong, versatile game offensively. That when he does finally get that NBA level conditioning, then it's going to be smooth sailing from there. His passing, extremely wild right now. You can see him making the reads where he's getting these opportunities either under the rim or on the move or getting doubled in the post or things like that. You can see him spotting the pass, but he's not executing the pass at all. So that's something that will probably come with time. Like he, he will probably, once he, once he sees it and then learns how to execute it, he's going to be very, very good. I do think that there's some Clint Capella, Bam Adebayo comparisons that are kind of floating around there right now. I think those are legit. Uh, he may not reach that level, and he I mean, obviously probably won't. Like He's a second-round pick. It's, it's not expected for him to do so, or else he would have been a first-round pick, maybe even a lottery pick. But if he does get up to that level, like he was like the third or fourth center drafted in the entire draft, maybe like the fourth or fifth, there's a possibility that he could be the best guy of those four or, or of those any center. Mark Williams, Jalen Duran. There's a possibility that he's better than any of them, which for getting that at the 46th overall pick, that's really good. And finally here, uh, Jack White. Might be the best player on the floor. Uh, I got a little bit of flack, a little bit of flack for comparing him to Joe Ingles. And I wasn't just doing it because he's Australian, because he's a big white Australian dude. Obviously, that has that plays some part into it. But the real reason for that, and, and shout out to all the other podcasters that decided to call me out on it too. Uh, I, I do listen. Uh, the reason why I made that comparison is because you can see him seeing the floor really, really well on both sides of the ball. He was making some really impressive passes in this last game. He made a really, really impressive pass on the move when he was kind of in traffic and then executed it absolutely perfectly for a wide open three uh, into the corner. It was, it was great. That's exactly what you want to see from a guy who's a connector. And that's really what he is. He's a guy who does just a little bit of everything. He's going to be a solid defender, can switch, can keep guys in front of him. And he's going to, like he, he had a nice rotation block in this last game. He had a lot of, a lot of great plays. 
And it just seems to me like he's the best player on the floor. And I, I kind of think about that every time I see him, which is insane. That's an insane thing to think. He's playing off the bench for Denver, but I do think that he might be the best guy. And there's this talk about how he's a low ceiling play, how the Nuggets, they're, they're not going to need somebody like that. And that's, that's not the position that they need or anything. I don't know if that's even true. Honestly, like people compare him to Vlako Chanchar. Okay, that's fine. Vlako has played 500 career minutes in the NBA. He's their third power forward. If Denver had another forward, would people really be that upset? Weapons if Michael Porter Jr. goes down this year and then Vlako isn't good. Don't you want somebody else that can step in and play a decent role and do some good connecting things? Yeah, probably. Would it be better spent on an actual center? Maybe. Would it be better spent on a wing that can defend a little bit better? Maybe. I'm not sure if that's even true, though, because Denver's got these wings that they believe in that are going to be playing these low-usage roles. Do they really need another one in, like, Adonis Arms or Matt Mitchell or somebody like that? I don't know if they do. I think it's all about stability and utility, and that's why I think he's leading the two-way contract race right now. He's been their best player. He's hitting his outside shots. He's rotating over and making defensive plays. He had 15 rebounds in a game. He's staying really efficient. Like, I, I just, I see a very solid player here. Somebody who's probably being undervalued because he looks slow and white. I think he's very smart. And guys like that often get undervalued in the scouting aspects of things because it doesn't look like they're going to develop at the NBA level. I watched him rotate over for that block, and I've watched him de defend all of these guys, whether it's Brandon Boston, whether it's Oshayak Baji, all of these NBA caliber wings. It just doesn't matter. Like, he's doing well. So I think it's worth the risk. I think that he's a guy that Denver will not regret giving him that second two-way deal. Now, they might want to give him an Exhibit 10 and keep him on the G League team and maybe lock up somebody else for a two-way. I wouldn't like be mad at them if they did that, but I just think that Jack White is clearly the best guy. Number two is probably Adonis Arms right now. He's the two-way ceiling play. I don't think it's likely that he's going to work out because I'm, I'm just a little bit skeptical of the decision-making at this point. Like It feels like for as athletic and as capable as he is, and as, as awesome as the passes that he's thrown, it just feels like he makes a lot of mistakes. And I don't know if Denver's going to need a lot of wings that make mistakes because Peyton Watson kind of fills that, that gap right there. If you had more of a, a stable option, then I think it would be different, but it just doesn't seem that way. Matt Mitchell's probably number three. Not really sure what his role is on a good team just yet. Like he's a six foot six power forward right now, 235. He has relatively short arms as well. Like he, he's going to be switched out onto people and probably not be successful. Could he be Jay Sean Tate or Daniel House or one of these other Houston style wings where he's going to be a three and D type and hits those outside shots? Maybe. And if he does hit those outside shots, then Denver would be wise to lock him up and, and get him on that two-way deal. So there's some other things that are going on behind the scenes where they are seeing what he's doing in practice. 
Maybe he's hitting more shots in practice, but he did just hit five threes in this last game. So we'll see if that continues. I have to imagine he continues to play. Number four, Jonte Porter. Uh, Health concerns, probably too much to overcome for him, but he does have these amazing flashes where he looks a lot like Jokic out there. Some of the back cuts that he makes, some of the one-handed passes that he makes, hits some pick-and-pop threes. Really, really good stuff. There's some weird stuff with his in-between game where not necessarily great touch from the mid-range or from kind of the dotted circle. That's a really important thing for him. He's not an athlete. He's got to be able to have a floater. He's got to be able to have an in-between game because if he doesn't, he's never going to be successful. And then number five, Kellen Grady. Haven't really seen enough of him to really get a read. And he hasn't stood out to me for the reasons that I think Nuggets fans would hope. Uh, But we'll just have to see. We'll have to see what they do. Maybe we'll get a better look at Kellen Grady in, in one of these next two games. But for now, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the moves in the Western Conference and in the NBA that are kind of changing up the hierarchy. We'll be right back. But first... This podcast is brought to you by Superbook Sports. Summer is here and there's no better time to make your first bet with Superbook Sports. Along with its usual vast betting menu, Superbook already has a lineup for every pro football game this fall. Plus, when you make your first deposit on the Superbook app or sign up at Superbook.com, they will match 100% of your money up to $500. It's never too early to start thinking about football at Superbook Sports. Place your bet and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. Alright, we're back. Pickaxe and Roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's now discuss some of the major dominoes that are starting to fall in free agency, beginning with one that hasn't fallen yet. Kevin Durant still in limbo. It still seems like the the Brooklyn Nets are are pricing out people that don't really have great options to give them. Miami can throw them, them the house and they're probably not going to listen because they can't trade Bam Adebayo and they're not going to trade Jimmy Butler. It seems to me like they are probably not going to be able to get up to the requisite price that the Nets are charging. The guys that can probably get there are Phoenix, although they have some definite other stipulations that they need to clarify here. Um, Toronto and maybe uh, that's, that's really the only teams that I can consider doing something like this. It feels to me like he's going to go to one of those two places, whether it's Phoenix or Toronto, because Toronto has some of the best kind of trade assets that you'd be looking for. Scotty Barnes is the single best player that they could probably get, the single best asset that they could probably get because of how young he is, how capable he is. He's a perfect linchpin for a rebuild because his ceiling, it appears to be all-star, all-NBA caliber. And if that's the case, then that's a great guy to get back for Kevin freaking Durant. The Raptors are probably not going to want to move him, which is why you're getting... Actually, they've, they've said that they're not moving him, that that's, that's kind of a no... A no uh, a, like a complete no-no 
That's what I'm really trying to say uh, for any Toronto Raptors deal. So whether they actually do that, whether they instead decide that they would like to give up Pascal Siakam, maybe Fred Van Vliet makes himself into the deal. Maybe there's some other things that the Nuggets, or not the Nuggets, that the Raptors try and do. OG Ananobi, of course. But I do think that it's either them or Phoenix. The problem now is that Phoenix cannot trade DeAndre Ayton. Ayton signed a max offer sheet today with the Indiana Pacers. The Suns, they immediately match that deal, despite the fact that they've been posturing that, well, they, they kind of said that they would match. But it got to the level where he did find that money, he did find that contract, and they had to sign him just so that they wouldn't lose that player for nothing. It's just a, a complete mess that they've made of this situation. They did not have to do this. They absolutely could have locked up Aiton to a contract during this last offseason, and then he would have been on a five-year, probably guaranteed deal, and he could have been moved for Kevin Durant, along with Mikhail Bridges and uh, Cam Johnson and guys like that, and they would be able to come up with a package that makes a lot of sense for both teams. Now, he's kind of off the table, and the Suns, they kind of have to make up with DeAndre Ayton at this point. They have to figure out how best to save that relationship, because it certainly feels like he wasn't wanted there. certainly feels like they didn't care enough to want him. The only reason that he's back is because they didn't want to lose him for nothing. So Ayton has a no-trade clause for the first year of his deal. He can kind of veto any trade for, actually, I think it's until January 15th. Uh, oh, no, no, he's restricted. He cannot be traded until January 15th. But after that, he can basically decide wherever he wants to go. If they set him up to be traded to the Brooklyn Nets for Kevin Durant during the season, then maybe that's what they do. I don't think that that's going to happen. And it's why I kind of think that the Suns are out of the Kevin Durant sweepstakes. I think Toronto is really the last team remaining, and all they have to do is outbid Miami. So we're going to see. We're going to see what these teams do and how this goes. I think that the Suns are in trouble. They've been in this situation. They kind of Their team got a little bit worse this offseason. Chris Paul got a year older, and their chemistry is at an all-time low. Not all-time, actually. They've, they've had some pretty poor moments during their franchise history, but I'm sure that Aiton is going to take some convincing to actually want to be there. He's probably going to get moved in a separate deal that he okays, which means that they're going to be a completely different looking team. And I'm just very curious to see what they look like and whether that's actually something that can uh, be okay. We're going to find out. We're definitely going to find out. Another thing that happened. The Jazz reportedly open for Donovan Mitchell deals. They had initially said that they were not going to trade Donovan Mitchell. Obviously, that was posturing that they are tearing this thing down. They knew that they had to. And they're going to wait to see if they could get a haul, kind of like what they got for Rudy Gobert. But they may not get that. They might get something a little bit different. They might get something better. It does seem like the New York Knicks 
are very, very willing to be interested in Deon- in uh, Donovan Mitchell, which is not really surprising because he's a CAA client, and CAA basically runs the New York Knicks now, World Wide West, former CAA guy, and it just feels like the Nuggets at this stage, or not the Nuggets, uh, the Jazz at this stage, they're kind of being boxed into a corner where they are being forced to trade him to the New York Knicks. Now, they're going to try to squeeze as much as they can out of the Knicks. And just looking at some of the deal possibilities here, Evan Fournier's matching salary, Quentin Grimes, Cam Reddish, a couple of young pieces, and seven first-round picks. That was a hypothetical deal, I think, proposed by Bobby Marks on ESPN today. So if they can get seven first-round picks in a deal like that, along with the, I think, four first-round picks they got from the uh, Rudy Gobert deal along with Walker Kessler and other guys, like they're going to be a very, very interesting rebuild, and they might be able to do so quickly. It's going to look a lot like what the uh, OKC Thunder did when they kind of turned around the Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul trade and then traded Chris Paul for some assets. They traded Paul George for a, a boatload of assets, and then they've played the asset game for a long time, and now they have generated a whole bunch of young and interesting pieces as a result. The Thunder or no, the, the Jazz are probably going to do something similar here. That's really interesting. Like it's a, it's probably the right direction for them because they were never going to get any higher with what they had to do. But I do think that this is the right call for them and that Donovan Mitchell probably going to end up in New York, but maybe there's another team that uh ponies up for him. Maybe it's uh Actually, I'm not really sure. Maybe it's Miami, but it does seem like New York can beat a Miami offer. So we're going to see. And finally, Jake Fisher. Uh, there was a point where he was doing, I think, a a recorded space or a Spotify green room or something like that, where he shared that Russell Westbrook is most likely going to be a Laker next year. And what that means has direct ramifications for the Kyrie Irving trade. Kyrie Irving probably wanted to get to the Lakers, probably wanted to get to a place where could win a title or uh, be in the, the largest market or something like that and enjoy his time in a situation that would be willing to kind of deal with what he wants to do. And Irving, LeBron, and Anthony Davis is about as good of a big three as you could really get these days. Like all of those guys are fantastic and LeBron isn't necessarily at the peak of his powers, but Kyrie Irving scored 60 points in a game last year. Anthony Davis still has a very high ceiling, though he doesn't necessarily reach it consistently. That team has potential if they can put it together, but it doesn't look like they even can do that. It does look like Russell Westbrook is stuck in a Lakers jersey right now, and that is great for what the Nuggets want that is great for the rest of the West, where they still have kind of this this nightmare Lakers team that is being forced to play together, and there's no way that they're going to be able to push very far with that particular group. Maybe they do. Maybe they, they figure some things out, but I just I can't really imagine it right now. I, I can't really see it. So who else could acquire Kyrie Irving if not the Lakers? Dallas, maybe. Dallas feels like a team that could... That give up the rest of their picks, Tim Hardaway Jr. and some other matching salary for 
uh, a guy like Kyrie that lost Jalen Brunson to the Knicks in free agency. And that's actually another thing. Like, why are the Knicks trying to pair Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell? That just doesn't make any sense. But whatever. So Dallas could potentially get Kyrie. Miami, obviously, they're probably going to try to get Kevin Durant. Then they're probably trying to get Donovan Mitchell. And they'll probably get Kyrie Irving after that. But if they don't get any of the first two guys, then maybe they decide, yeah, we, we would prefer to have Kyrie Irving over Kyle Lowry. They might not. They might prefer Lowry. Or maybe they just try to get both of them. And they trade like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero for Kyle Lowry or for Kyrie Irving and just play two point guards. That'd probably be fine. Probably not the Clippers. They signed John Wall. It feels like they are very good with the team that they have. Maybe Minnesota. I would say that they are kind of a stealth destination where you kind of do a D'Angelo Russell for Kyrie Irving swap. And if it doesn't work out, then you just kind of break it off and then you still have your top three guys and Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and Rudy Gobert. But you still get, you get to try Kyrie Irving for a while and he feels like a pretty good fit with those particular three. And then if you squint hard enough, then maybe Chicago or Philly could be a potential trade destination, but I just don't see it. I don't think that those teams can really muster up the assets. Would the Chicago Bulls really want to trade Lonzo Ball for Kyrie Irving? They'd have to put in some other things too. Maybe it's a Lonzo Ball and uh, Nikola Vucevic trade for Kyrie Irving and that they, they acquire another center at some point. If you do that... You're, doing, you're getting Kyrie Irving, DeMar DeRozan, and Zach Levine on the same team with Patrick Williams at the four and some other five that they get, some nominal player. That's pretty good. Like, it doesn't suck. That's like a really, really talented group, but kind of like what the Chicago Bulls were this last year. Might not be like the talent alone might not translate to wins. But yeah, it just appears that all of these things are... At the tipping point, the DeAndre Ayton situation is probably clarifying whether the Suns can actually trade for Kevin Durant. I suspect that they cannot. And now we're going to see whether that domino falls and if the Donovan Mitchell domino falls before or after that. Should be very interesting to see how the rest of these things are kind of tied together. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss the new Western Conference tiers. In my opinion, we'll be right back. Segment pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support as always. If you can, it'd be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. That would really go a long way in terms of spreading the podcast and making it even bigger. Uh, just, just sharing it with the Denver Nuggets community would mean a lot to me. All right, let's wrap up this podcast by talking about the Western Conference tiers, what these teams are kind of looking like, where everybody's at. All of these are fluid, and it wouldn't surprise me if I'm wrong about where some of these teams are. But I do think that if we if we just look at kind of the power rankings of what these teams have put together, 
I think it pretty well breaks down into four groups. Number one, you've got the uh, the first tier. You've got the championship caliber teams. These are the teams that I think can win the title. Golden State, Denver, the LA Clippers, and Phoenix. I'm still giving Phoenix the benefit of the doubt. I know they faltered during this last uh, session. I don't believe in the Dallas Mavericks. I believe in Luka. I believe in what he did. But losing Jalen Brunson feels like a, a big thing that they just have not replaced at all yet. And I think that they probably don't deserve to be in this group. They're, they're in the playoff caliber group next. But I do think that Phoenix still is championship caliber, at least from a talent perspective. You've got two all-NBA caliber guards. You've got one of the best 3 and D wings in the NBA in Mikael Bridges. You've still got DeAndre Ayton for now. How they kind of trade Ayton and what they get back for him, whether it's Miles Turner. Actually, they can't trade him for Miles Turner now because he can't be traded to Indiana because of the offer sheet that they sort of match. So we're going to see what they do. Maybe they move him to uh, the Spurs or somebody like that where he goes there and Jakob Pertl comes back, something like that. I don't think that really is a needle mover at all, and you're probably not getting much more than that. So I do think it's it's just going to be very interesting to see how they evolve. They, they're still in this tier by respect alone, but I just think that these other three teams are probably going to beat them in a series. Golden State, Denver, LA Clippers. Golden State, they get the benefit of the doubt. They are at the top of this tier until proven otherwise. Steph Curry is still very good. I do think that Denver can beat them. They're in the same tier. You can beat any of the teams in your tier. But I do think that Denver can beat them. I think we're at this situation where uh, the Nuggets, they have the talent to do it. They have the singular force in Nikola Jokic to push them over the top. If you get the right support in Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., and everybody else, then you're going to be able to do some stuff. But Denver obviously still has questions, so they can't be number one just yet, even if I feel like they're close. The Clippers, honestly, same thing. Like I do think that they are one of the most talented teams in the NBA, maybe the most talented team when you kind of amass the talent of each of the rosters. But they still have some questions to answer within a playoff series. Are they going to be able to score consistently? Are they going to be able to defend consistently? You have questions there with that group. And they've shown some great things. They've shown some great stuff from their zones, from their their switchable wing schemes. And they're probably the best equipped team to stop the Warriors and the Phoenix Suns because of the the roster that they possess. However, they only have Avica Zubac as their center. And they have definitely game-planned so that they're probably doubling Nikola Jokic for the most most part. And Jokic has feasted on LA Clippers double teams pretty consistently in his career. So we will see whether that continues. In in, uh, review... Championship caliber teams, Golden State, Denver, LA Clippers, Phoenix. 
Playoff caliber teams. These are the next four teams on the list. Memphis, Minnesota, New Orleans, Dallas, in that order. Memphis isn't to the championship caliber tier because I think they got worse. I don't think that they got better this year. And they're still playing the long game with their team because John Morant just got into his fourth season. They are not operating on a timetable right now. Desmond Bain's still getting better. Jaron Jackson, he just had his surgery. So we will see if he gets back to being the best version of himself. But they're still making long-term investments to their team. They gave up DeAnthony Melton for the 23rd pick in the draft, and they drafted David Roddy. So they are still making these longer-term plays, even though a guy like Melton would definitely help them right now. So I'm very curious to see how that evolves. They're probably still going to be a 50-plus win team. I would be shocked if they weren't, actually. And because of that, they're probably, like, they might be a top four seed. It's very possible that they are the fifth best team, but only but still a top four seed because they feel very regular season to me with what they do on a consistent basis. They still have to prove it in the playoffs, though. They ran into a Minnesota team that was just tripping over themselves the entire time last year. So we'll see if that changes for Minnesota because they're at number six. I think that them and Memphis were very close last year. Minnesota probably had, like they had a really good shot to win that series, but they just kind of fumbled the bag and under most circumstances. And it's too bad. Like they, they could have definitely done something. They didn't. And that's okay. But it does feel to me like with Minnesota's bet on Rudy Gobert, that if they don't get into that championship caliber tier, then it's probably a disappointment. They might win 50-plus games. They might be a top-four seed. They may be better than Phoenix or Golden State or Denver or LA in terms of record. But when it comes to playoff caliber production and success, I think we're going to have some major questions on what they could do. New Orleans, I have less questions about them oddly enough, about their playoff stuff. Like, they have the wings, they have the scores, but also the system that I think is going to make some some real sense here. They added, they're going to add Zion Williamson back into what they do. They got Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, Herb Jones, I, I love. Uh, they have some good supporting pieces there in Larry Nance, Jonas Valanciunas, uh, who else do they have? Devontae Graham. Like, Devontae's not great, but they have other guys that they could add. They've got a lot of draft picks. Jose Alvarado was very good last year. Trey Murphy will be better. So they seem to me like a team that if they have the star-level power, which Zion is capable, Brandon Ingram is capable, obviously CJ is capable of giving you 20 a night, they have the capability as a talent team. We'll see if they can actually put it together. I don't think that they're going to be a very good defense. And that's probably why they are not in the championship caliber zone. But I might be underrating New Orleans. And then Dallas, they're at eight. It certainly feels to me like they lost ground. They lost Jalen Brunson and basically didn't replace him. That feels like a problem. They might still replace him. They might still make some moves here or there. But I would be surprised if they were a top four seed again. Were they this last year? I don't think... No, they they were. 
somehow they were a top four seed. And actually, no, they weren't. They were they were the five seed. They were a five seed. Utah was the four. Um, whatever. It feels to me like Dallas at this stage, they took a step back because it was kind of the right thing to do to not pay Jalen Brunson to be their second star. But now they don't have a second star. So what are they going to do? Luka will probably win an MVP. That would, like He's the odds-on favorite to do so, and he probably will, honestly. But I would be shocked if they went past the first round. Luka can certainly take them past the first round, but there are just so many talented teams. I don't think there's a Portland from 2021. There's no Utah this last year. Like There aren't those teams in the playoff field this year, I don't think. Maybe Phoenix is that version. Maybe they get Phoenix again, and they just kill Phoenix. I don't know, but we're going to have to see. And we get to the play-in caliber. I have the Lakers, the Blazers, and the Sacramento Kings here, 9, 10, and 11. All of those teams, I feel, are going to be play-in caliber. I do think that the Kings are going to be better. And with the players that they added, I like Keegan Murray a lot. I think he's very consistent. I think he's going to be a guy that immediately has some rookie of the year potential. And they're going to be fighting for their lives. De'Aaron Fox, uh, Davion Mitchell, Harrison Barnes, DeMontis Sabonis, and Keegan Murray. It's a decent lineup. It's probably the it's probably a top 20 lineup in the NBA of uh, NBA starting lineup. And maybe it's even top 15. But I do think that their bench is going to kill them at various points. And they also have Kevin Herter. They they traded for him. They still have uh, – they got Malik Monk in the offseason. Feels like they have some capable players. And they've been loading up to try to get back into the play-in race. Feels like this might be the year for them. But above them, I still have Portland and I still have the Lakers. Portland, it feels like they're loading up to try to become something better than what they were. But there are just so many better teams than them. The Lakers potentially being one of them. Like it's possible that Portland is nine and the Lakers are ten, or the Lakers are eleven and Sacramento is ten. But I do think that's Portland. They have the one star in Damian Lillard. He's slowing down. He's not at his peak level anymore. And he like his peak level wasn't Steph Curry. It was slightly below that, and now he's lower than that. So I, I just wonder what version that they are going to get this next year. Anthony Simons is going to be able to take some pressure off of him. He's a very capable uh, off-ball scorer. Jeremy Grant in the building is going to be very helpful too. He might be their second scorer. He might be their third. But beyond that, like they're putting a lot of pressure on Josh Hart and Yusuf Nurkic. And I feel a lot better in Denver's case where they're putting it on Contavious Caldwell, Pope, and Aaron Gordon. Because those guys kind of in less pivotal spots in Denver's rotation. Nurkic is going to have a lot of a lot of burden to bear at the five. And he's had these injury issues. He's definitely not going to be at his peak. And Josh Hart, despite how good I think he is, he's not like... He's not the best in terms of talent. And, and they just don't really have a bench behind that either, although they did get Gary Payton. So I'd be a little bit concerned if I were them. They probably don't have enough. 
Lakers, as I mentioned in the last segment, it definitely doesn't feel like they have enough to me either. I just I don't really feel like talking about them either, so it is what it is. They are probably going to cry all the way to another playing spot. And they didn't have one last year, but they'll probably have one this year. And then finally, the fourth tier, you should tank for Victor Wembanyama. 12 is Utah until they trade Donovan Mitchell, at which point they will probably slot into 13 or 14. Oklahoma City, they got Chet Holmgren. They still have Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Lou Dort, Josh Giddy, guys like that. They're going to be even better, although they're still going to be bad. And it's going to be kind of purposefully bad because it feels like they are still tanking. Uh, they probably will have to sit there, veteran guys, in order to be not as bad or in order to be not as good, excuse me. But they're going to. They're going to find a way. And they're going to try to get into the Wembenyama sweepstakes because he is that good. And there's, all of these teams should be trying to get him. Houston, they're probably going to try to get him as well. And if they have Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, and Victor Wembenyama, that would be a core to really, really build around. But right now, I just don't really believe in Houston's core. They have some complementary pieces. They don't really have the straw that stirs the drink. Maybe Jalen Green can eventually develop into that guy, but he's in year two. And Kevin Porter Jr. is his point guard. So I'd be a little bit concerned. And then 15, San Antonio. They traded away DeJounte Murray. Feels to me like they are certainly tanking because they don't have another point guard to really replace him. Not sure what they're going to do there, but they still have Calvin Johnson, Devin Vassell. Uh, I don't really know who else they have, if I'm being honest. Like they drafted Jeremy Sohan. They drafted Josh Primo last year. They've got some pieces. Maybe it's Trey Jones, Tyus Jones' younger brother, that they're going to start. Uh, feels like a a definite admission to tanking. So we will see. We will see how these teams do. But Nuggets fans, I think, can feel pretty good that they are in the top tier. And I think it's pretty clear that they're in the top tier, at barring health. Uh, that Golden State, Denver, LA Clippers, and Phoenix. Those are going to be the four teams that or the three teams that the Nuggets are going to have to game plan for the most. Obviously, you get Bruce Brown, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Christian Brown. All of those guys are going to be helpful when it comes to defending a championship-caliber perimeter rotation. And the Clippers certainly have that. The Suns certainly have that. And the Warriors certainly have that. So we will see. But more than anything, it's just going to be about getting healthy. It's going to be about Denver Stars performing to their levels and forcing other teams to kind of uh, adjust to that. Because if they have the unstoppable team, then other teams are going to be in, in a world of trouble. Because it doesn't feel like any team is particularly set up to guard Nikola Jokic and everything that the Nuggets like to do. I'm looking forward to the show. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support, as always. I probably won't be back on uh, Saturday. I'm, I just decided I wanted to get this podcast out here. There was enough that I think happened that we should definitely talk about. Uh, but I will be back on Monday, and we will break down everything that happens over the weekend. 
think Denver's going to be playing on Friday, and they'll probably play on Sunday too. Should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys next week.